This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, we are back on the situation in long-term care and what we must do to fix it. The good news is that there seems to be political will at all levels of government and all parties to finally make the changes that have to be made. But what are they? Today, we're going to sort through some of the various plans and ideas that are already on the table. The latest, as you heard in Bob's news, is from the Ontario government, and it's an emergency order that will allow the government to appoint a manager to oversee the response to COVID-19 at long-term care homes that are struggling to deal with outbreaks. Now, the government has been under pressure for weeks to do this. This is something that the BC government did quite a while ago, and uh, they have results to show for it. Uh, so uh, it's finally being done. I don't know that anyone has been appointed yet. It's apparently going to happen on a case-by-case basis, but is that what we need? And yesterday, I talked to the leader of the official opposition, Andrea Horvath, and she was adamant that we need... <clears throat> excuse me, a full public inquiry that, for instance, is better than the more limited inquiry into the Wetlawfer murders that we had very recently, and that produced 91 recommendations. Is that what we need? And also yesterday, the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario released its plan for reforming long-term care and its ideas on what they have learned from the pandemic. Uh, let me give the numbers. Like to hear your thoughts on all of this. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-744-740. Now we're going to Morgan Hoffarth, who is the president-elect of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, and Jane Meadis, a staff lawyer and the institutional advocate at the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. Okay, let, let's begin with Jane. Uh, this latest emergency order, which gives the province the ability to appoint someone to take over management of a home, is, is this what we need right now? Well, it, it's hard to know. So what the management order is allowing them to do is uh, power that they already have under the legislation in an inspection process. Uh, which is to order the home to um, hire a management company. And this will just allow them to do that in a broader uh, um, number of times. The problem is, is who's going to manage the home? In general, uh, it's still the operators of other homes that are coming in to run it. So a lot of the big corporations have management companies. So I'm not convinced that this is necessarily the best way because I don't know that the management companies um, – you know, are, are coming with clean hands either. They're usually, you know, having problems in their own homes. So I, I'm not convinced this is the way to go. To go. Um, I, I must have, well, it's, it's a little opaque, I have to say. But in B.C., it, it, 
my understanding was that the government stepped in. Uh, is, is that wrong? So my understanding in BC um, is that they took over the staff, paying for the staff, and so that they were able to um, hire better staff. But I understand that the homes are still running. I could be wrong on that, but that is my understanding is that they took over the um the, the they basically uh, made all of the um, healthcare workers provincial staff. Oh, okay, okay. I think we we're going to have to drill down a little bit further on that. Uh, mm-hmm. Morgan Hoffarth, uh, first of all, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, so, do you have a view on this uh, emergency order? First of all, so. I think the long-term care homes, they know how to effectively and safety, safely care for the residents that they have. Long-term care is a specialty area of nursing. Um, definitely, they need more resources to be able to do their work. One of the challenges in long-term care is that it's difficult to obtain full-time work for your nursing staff and for your PSW staff. So often, they work at multiple homes, which means there can be a, quite a bit of cross-contamination, if you will, from one home to the other, which makes the spread of illness more likely to occur from home to home, which can be difficult. When the order came in for people to work at just one home, then it made it difficult for staffing. Also, it's very difficult for long-term care to be able to get the proper personal protective equipment. They know the infection control precautions that they need to take for infectious diseases, but when you don't have the equipment to be able to provide the care safely for your residents and for your staff members, it makes it really difficult to manage a pandemic. Certainly, there are some homes that are that do need some assistance in the management, just like at times there's hospitals who have somebody appointed to be there kind of to oversee the operations. There are homes that would benefit from that. But in general, long-term people who work in long-term care, they know about how to effectively care for these residents, and appointing somebody provincially isn't necessarily the right direction, particularly bringing the military in is not necessarily the right direction. It's getting the people there to work and making sure that there's um, human resources and funds to pay the people who would be coming to work in these long-term care homes who have the specialty and expertise in caring for older adults. Okay, Jane, uh, it's my understanding that, uh, again, with that emergency order, that uh, hospitals hospitals can be appointed. Is that a good thing? Well, I think that um, Morgan is exactly right that um, hospitals don't have the expertise in running a long-term care home, and there's uh, definitely a lot of specialization there. So I'm not sure, um, you know, what kind of expertise a hospital would bring into the system um, at this point. Uh, it's a very difficult um, situation right now. Uh, and I, I agree that a lot of this goes back to other problems which can't be fixed simply by having new management. I think that there are definitely issues with management in some of these homes. Um, and certainly when we see multiple homes in one chain sort of having problems, I think that's an issue um, that we have to deal with. But um, you know, sending in a hospital uh, administrator uh, who's never run a long-term care home and doesn't have that expertise, I'm not sure that that's helpful either. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen uh, that the some of the hardest-hit hospitals have been grateful when they've got 
personnel from both hospitals and the military, but I think most of them functioned as personal support workers. Morgan? Yeah, so it's helpful to have more people. When you have an outbreak in your home, it means often some of your staff members are off as well. It's been devastating the amount of deaths in long-term care, um, including the registered nurse that passed away for in London of COVID that we just found out about yesterday. Our, the, our uh, condolences. Yeah. That's, that's terrible. And it, ironically, uh, the nurse passed away on the international day of nurses, uh, but um, very, very sad and tragic and uh, our sympathy. Yeah, it's devastating for that family, for the community, for the residents of that home and for the co-workers to see the live the lives lost, both of residents in the home and of staff members. When you have an outbreak, there are staff members who are unwell and who are sick and can't be at work, which makes staffing quite difficult. Staffing in long-term care is nowhere close to what we see from a nurse-patient ratio in hospitals. So the staff members in long-term care are really stretched. And having additional people and resources there to help with feeding, with transfers, with some of that personal care is helpful. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the military that's doing that. It could be other people who have experience in healthcare or experience in caring for older adults who have their hours increased to work at only one home instead of working across homes. And to be able to provide the residents the care that they deserve and the care that they should have every day, not just during a pandemic. Jane, yesterday I was talking to Andrea Horvath, and she was adamant that we need a full public inquiry. There are a lot of stakeholders who say, hey, come on, you know, we, we know what the problems are here. What's your view? Well, yeah, that's a really difficult question. Um, on the one hand, I think that an inquiry would uh, be able to um, bring about um, a lot of uh, information that perhaps we're not getting and uh, be able to put out a lot of um, recommendations with respect to something like this. We certainly had one after SARS. Um, you know, on the other hand, there's the millions of dollars that are spent in inquiry. Um, and so we have to make sure that it, it happens quickly and that it is um, actually listened to. And that's always the problem with inquiry. So, you know, is there, are there other ways of doing this? I'm not sure. Usually inquiries are the way to go um, to look at something like this. But again, it requires governments to actually buy into them. And, and that's unfortunately not always the case. And, and Morgan, do you agree? And, and I mean, we have not implemented the recommendations from the Wetlawfer inquiry. I mean, wouldn't that yes. be a place to start? It's, it would definitely be, definitely be a place to start implementing the recommendations from the Wetlawfer inquiry. There's lots of recommendations that have been made around modernizing the funding formula in long-term care, incentivizing quality outcomes in long-term care instead of clawing back funding when you improve the health outcomes of your residents. There's lots of evidence around developing new nursing homes, focusing on the not-for-profit homes, which tend to have better outcomes, mm -hmm. um, and really looking at person-first language within long-term care, making sure that it is a home for those residents and that we are kind of fully integrating a residential approach for the people who require long-term care in order to 
be in the community and to really make it a community for them where there's smaller groups of people that live together, where their needs are can be met by the right number of staff members, where we can look at the complexity of their care needs and really make sure we're matching the care that they're getting to their complexity. So there's already a lot of recommendations out there through the wet law for inquiry um, in the ECHO report that RNAO released yesterday. Recommendation six is all about reimagining long-term care um, and looking at the things we already know we could be doing, but we need government to fund long-term care and to focus on long-term care, not just hospital care. Um, So focusing on long-term care as a priority area to fix to make sure that we can provide these residents the care that they deserve. Uh, Jane, uh, do you see anything in there that could be implemented uh, pretty quickly? uh, Or is it all, I mean, a lot of it is very expensive and very long-term. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that the government already knows that need to be changed. And I think that those things could be done. um, uh, You know, some of them can be done quickly. Uh, Some of them are going to take a longer period of time. I mean, definitely one of the issues that we have is the aging structure of these homes. And that has, um, you know, increased the mortality greatly. Um, But there has to be, frankly, a shift in our perception of the aged um, you know, people are still not being sent to hospital if they have COVID. They're still, hospitals don't want them. Homes are saying, well, what, you know, why do we bother sending them to hospital? There's a whole bunch of reasons that you do that, either for care reasons or to ensure that the uh, the, the disease doesn't spread. Um, I think that this, you know, really we're going down to um, a real uh, Jane, ageism issue Jane, here. Jane, yeah, let me interrupt you for a minute because... I'm just trying to remember which interview it was, but I I was told that in some cases, finally, people with COVID are being sent to hospitals from their homes. Is that not the case as far as you know? It it depends. Um, There has been a real reluctance to send people to um, hospitals, and we're still hearing hospitals that don't want them, um, you know, because they can't necessarily cure people. Um, but they may be able to provide um, more ability to provide some palliative care just because of the way that hospitals work are a little bit different and they can be a little bit more nimble in certain things. Um, and also just to get them out of the homes. I mean, one of the problems is, is that if you have four bedrooms and you leave a person in a room who has COVID, uh, you know, they're going to infect, you know, everyone else in the room. And that is exactly what happened. These things went through the homes like wildfire. And that was because the instructions were basically leave them there. Um, and it goes all back to really an ageist perception of people living in long-term care and how we, how we care for our elderly. Let me give the numbers out again, the audience. I'd like to hear from you. Uh, what do you think has to change and change right away in long-term care? Uh, what are your experiences that you are drawing on when you look at this? It's, it's terrible. The numbers are as high as 82% of the deaths in Canada are in long-term care settings. That includes retirement homes. We're not talking about those today. And Perhaps we should be. Uh, but what do you think, what's got to give here? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Talking to Jane Medis from the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly and Morgan Hoffarth, who is the president-elect of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. And, and Morgan, 
your CEO, Doris Greenspun, has said that basically what the pandemic has shown us is that our hospital system is functioning well, but the rest of the medical system is falling apart. Yeah, so we have echo, or sorry, the COVID pandemic has really shone a light on where the cracks and the gaps in the healthcare system are. So the hospital system has done fairly well through the COVID pandemic. Hospitals are fairly well funded. They have good resources. They have robust teams that are well prepared to deal with pandemics. That's not what we've seen in the community and other sectors. So in long-term care, for example, in other congregate settings, so looking at the shelter systems, people who are homeless, um, people who are in correctional facilities, areas, group homes. Homes, for example, have been hard hit with COVID. People, areas where people are living together and can't do that physical distancing, it has been really difficult in COVID-19 where we know physical distancing, universal masking makes a significant difference, but we haven't been able to get the PPE early enough for universal masking for it to really make a positive impact in spreading long-term care. And it's really difficult in a long-term care or a congregate setting to keep people apart. Um, so we really have seen areas of our healthcare system outside of the hospital that need some focused attention in order to improve the health outcomes of our province and the people in our province. Uh, yeah, and you know, you mentioned community care, and well, you you there's some virtual care happening, but you can't go see your doctor. Yeah, there's some great work happening around virtual care and making sure that people can have virtual access to primary care, but in-person visits have really slowed down in primary care because there's not the PPE for it to be safe for our healthcare workers or our patients who are coming into long, uh, to the community care centers or their primary care office, home care as well. It's been really difficult for people who are having nursing and PSW care provided at home. Usually that patient population is vulnerable. It's people who have chronic illnesses, people who have had recent surgeries, who have cancer diagnoses, people who are unwell but at home, but there hasn't been the appropriate PPE for healthcare workers to So the people who need care at home, who need dressing changes, who need IV antibiotics are saying no to healthcare workers coming in, um, to nurses coming into their home because they don't want to put themselves at risk. They don't want to be exposed to someone who is out working with other patients in the community and isn't adequately protected with the appropriate PPE. Um, Okay, Uh, let's take a call from Patricia in Ajax. And hi, Patricia, and you say you're one of the founders of the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Yes, I am. (laughs) Thanks for calling. And uh, and, uh, former president of Concerned Friends of Ontario Citizens and Care Facilities. Well, uh, thank you for calling. Uh, What's your view? My view is that there needs to be a full public inquiry and it needs to be an investigative inquiry and it needs to have a very broad mandate. And I also believe that there need to be police investigations into what's occurred in long-term care. And and why police investigations? Well, if you read the inspection reports, it certainly raises questions about whether criminal acts have taken place. And I think police should be asked to start with those inspection reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we've heard about inspections lately is that the inspectors are 
doing their inspections by telephone because they don't want to go in there. Uh, how appropriate is that? Well, that's not appropriate, but the other thing that's not appropriate is that the Ford government totally reduced the number of inspections, resident quality inspections that were taking place. Those are the comprehensive inspections that we actually need, and we need a strengthened inspection branch, not a weakened one. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is all of this, though, a bit of, you know, uh, closing the barn door after the horses have escaped? I mean, again, you know, we, I think we know what the problems are. Well, I think certainly the inspection branch has again and again and again uh, issued non-compliant issued compliance orders, but almost nothing has happened with those compliance orders. And I guess my question is why? Um, I mean, we keep hearing all kinds of uh, reasons. One being, you know, what are you going to do? Shut it down? What are you going to do with the people there? Well, there's municipalities that could take over some of these homes. There's nonprofit charitable organizations that could take over some of these homes. But the way the deck is stacked in Ontario is there's a two-week turnaround on um, on requests for new beds. And so if you have to get it through council or you have to get it through a board of directors because you're a nonprofit, you're essentially prevented from actually getting beds in Ontario. <clears throat> and quite frankly, we shouldn't be institutionalizing this number of older adults anyway. Uh, I think that's a very good point, Patricia. Thanks for your call. You're welcome. And... Uh, I think that this is definitely something, you know, that definitely the inspection process has been so watered down and has never come up to what was promised when this new um, inspection process was put in. Um, I totally agree that, uh, you know, we've made these inspections absolutely toothless. Um, They take months to to even do some of the complaints. Um, They are not, uh, they have, they, there's no power to, fine. Um, this gov- the Liberal government did pass some legislation which would have allowed some fining. Um, this government has never in, um, proclaimed those sections. In fact, there's a section in there that uh, would allow the government to uh, take away the license. Um, and I would like to see that happen now. And I think that they should put that piece of legislation in now. They should proclaim that and be able to do that. Um, because I think there's a lot of things going on that in the homes, uh, we know that they're happening. They are inspected, and even when they're inspected and things are found, there's nothing to really change the system. And and I totally agree. We have to entirely change the system. We thought that that had happened, but again, it's that implementation sometimes that just doesn't work. Well, yeah, and and again, you know, I was shocked. Uh, you know, we we keep talking about we have frontline workers. They're going into the homes. They're risking their lives. They're going in with PPE. But then when there's a problem, you know, the inspector, who I'm sure makes more money than a lot of people working in those homes, says, "Huh, I'm not going there. I'm going to call them on the phone." Yeah, I'm not sure what's happening with inspections, whether they're going in or not. I certainly know the Ministry of Labor was doing some over the phone and they were ordered to go in. Um, but frankly, uh, many of the inspectors are not acting as inspectors right now. They're um, more acting as a liaison with the homes. And so we're getting less inspections than I think ever before. Um, and, you know, there's obviously the, the homes are in such dire straits that perhaps that's necessary. But uh, I think that there's really no very, very little inspecting going on right now. Morgan, what do you think about the inspection situation? The inspection situation, I think, could completely be... I think it's important that we inspect. 
and that we understand what's happening in homes and that we have standards that we hold homes to, I think there is a definite way to improve not the quality of the inspection, but the way that we support homes when they don't pass an inspection. So instead of just giving them a non-compliance order, like perhaps helping them understand how they could become compliant, connecting them with some resources. There's a lot of good work that is happening in long-term care, um, but not not at every home. And there are some homes who have solved some of the issues with the funding that they do have that could be really great resources to other homes. And that doesn't happen during the inspection process. So allowing homes to work together more and connecting them, the ones that are successful with the ones who need help during the inspection process to make it better for the residents who are living in long-term care, that, that's the purpose of the inspection is to improve the quality and make sure and that we're ensuring safety for the residents in long-term care. That's what this inspection should be for. Um, but there's not a lot of quality improvement that comes out of it because it's really linked to compliance, not to quality. Okay, let's take a quick call from Doug and Lindsay. Hi, Doug. Hi, Libby. <clears throat> One of your earlier callers touched on my point. Uh, I think the control should be in the hands of the municipality for, for a couple of reasons. One, of course, if, uh, if you have a problem with a, uh, one of the nursing homes, you call your counselor, and he's looking for, he or she is looking for your vote next time around. I, I don't think it exactly, actually works like that. Um, but uh, the, the city, I mean, here in Toronto, the city owns... 10 homes and runs 10 homes and uh you know some of them there there are a couple with outbreaks but i think generally speaking they're they're run better uh they're not for profit uh but um yeah uh the the municipality would have to buy the home and operate the home and uh, i don't know uh but it definitely is a thought Thank you, Doug, for your call. Uh, we're basically out of time. So, uh, Morgan, what would you like to leave us with on this? Uh, I Thank you for asking us to participate and for shining the light on long-term care and the reform that is needed within the healthcare system, particularly in long-term care, to make sure that long-term care is home to the residents and that we can integrate nursing and retirement homes into enhanced community care plans and to modernize the funding plan for long-term care and really focus on the quality for the residents who are the people who are living in long-term care homes. Jane, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I really think that we really need to think about do we respect and, and want quality care for our elderly people? Um, and we have to have a whole, um, you know, mental shift if we're going to um, do more than lip service to change the long-term care system. Um, these, you know, what's going on in long-term care today is not anything that is unknown or new. It's just on a larger scale than we've ever seen before. So I think we really have to have a shift, shift in how we think about the care of our elderly. Okay. Uh, thank you both. Uh, I'm sure that it won't be very long before we have to tackle these subjects again. Morgan Hoffarth and Jane Medes, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.